If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Well, hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 183 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but those Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on the 28th day of May in the year 2023. Well, I do hope you are all having a good long weekend, Memorial Day weekend, obviously, particularly tomorrow on Memorial Day is the day where we just remember all of the people who fought so hard and bravely for this country to give us the the rights that we are so lucky to have and unfortunately did not have the right themselves to return home to their loved ones. And we just remember them. I know that where I, I live, there are at least parts of the day where Certain sounds are going to be let off, and it's, I think it's about like maybe like 50 seconds that you do to just genuflect and remember those people. I'm sure a lot of people out there know plenty who fought bravely for this country and did not get to return home. So, for all of those people, my utmost respect and honor obviously goes out to them. And tomorrow's the day where we get to remember those people. We should remember them as much as possible, but tomorrow serves as the day throughout the year to remember all those brave souls who sacrificed themselves so we could all live the lives that we're very fortunate to be able to live in this country. So God bless all of them and their families as well. As far as the Yankees now, guys, well, that was an eventful week, wasn't it? My God, (laughs) chaotic series with the Orioles, one that they unfortunately very well could have won but didn't. And then today against the Padres to wrap up this weekend three-game set against them. My God. I mean, the title really maps it out. Well, that was eventful because it was. Crazy week since the last time we spoke. And there's just a lot to go through between what happened this past week and the actual games themselves. What's going to be happening in the coming days when it comes to the roster. More players returning from injury. Obviously, we spoke a chunk about it last week on yet another two-hour Yapping Yankees edition (laughs) about Severino returning and how more help was not too far away from coming. And now one week later, obviously, it's even closer. And I did fire this up right after, just a few minutes ago. I stayed behind after the game was over to listen to Aaron Boone's press conference because I eagerly awaited the update on Anthony Rizzo, as I'm sure you can imagine. When I saw that happen on the field with Fernando Tatis Jr., I think my heart sunk to my big toe. But thank God, thank God, that the old injury tradition of the Yankees of a soul for a soul did not kick in this time. Because with some help on the way within the next week to a week and a half, typically what would happen with the Yankees, with more help on the way, means that we got to sacrifice somebody else in turn. And I was very nervous, especially with how it looked in live time, with Rizzo today at first base, with Tatis Jr., that Rizzo was going to act as that sacrifice. And 
not only do I love Anthony Rizzo the way I do and acknowledge him for how great of a season offensively he's had, I mean, part of it could be because the shift is gone and I definitely acknowledged him as one of the people who could benefit from that change for sure. But even aside from that, he is having a career comeback year in his early to to mid-30s. I mean, it can't be overstated how impressive Rizzo has been. And obviously you have his defense, but he's also, he's like the premier left-handed bat in the lineup. You can't lose that. It's too important. Not to mention the presence that he has off the field with the team, how important of a leader he is. Rizzo's just too important to lose. And I was really nervous that he was going to act as that sacrifice as more help is on the way. But fortunately, Boone did say that regarding the situation with him, he was taken out of the game as more of a precautionary measure and that he looks like he's totally fine, went through the battery of testing, probably even some concussion protocol and all that stuff, and he seems to be fine, and he could be back in the lineup as soon as tomorrow. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ, because I don't know what this team would do without Rizzo, especially for an extended amount of time. So, thank God for that Aaron Boone update. And just really relieved. I had to stay behind to hear what happened, because I was just so nervous about it can't lose Rizzo. You can't. There's a couple of guys you can't lose for an extended amount of time on this team. And those two in particular are Aaron Judge and Anthony Rizzo. You also can't lose Garrett Cole and losing Stanton for a certain amount of time also really stings if you lose him for a certain amount of time. I mean, you you can because unfortunately the Yankees have had to do that a vast majority of the time because he has spent a lot of time injured and even someone who loves Stanton as much as I do has to admit that. But even with him, you look at the lineup sometimes when he's out and you see how the lineup could really afford to just have him there, the void left without Stanton's name in that lineup. So I would even argue him as being a part of that. I would. But Rizzo is definitely a part of that fold is the point I'm trying to make. And thank God he's not missing extended time or really, as it seems, any time at all, really. And they stress that they're going to keep an eye on him, as they should and see how his neck is feeling tomorrow. But basically what happened, in case you didn't see the play today, was Higgy tried to throw back to first to try to get Tatis, who was really off the bag. And he threw to Rizzo, and Tatis ended up being out. So I believe it did end up being a strike-him-out, throw-him-out double play with the play happening at first as opposed to a, a stolen base attempt. But Tatis sort of like... And I don't blame him for what happened. I mean... He was trying to get back to the bag. I I, I get it. <laughs> it's tough to avoid because Rizzo had his... He kind of received it weirdly because he didn't really even have a foot on the bag because, I mean, he, he didn't have to with trying to tag Tatis before he got back to the bag. But the way he received it was a little weird, the positioning he was in. And Tatis sort of like, you know, he just went back into the base, standing up, not sliding. And he like, forced his leg back in to try to get his foot on the base to be safe. <laughs> I don't I don't blame him for that. And his leg, with Rizzo squatting down, just sort of, like, it bashed Rizzo in the side of the head, really, and it, it seemed like his neck went at a weird angle, and it was a really weird-looking play. It's hard to describe. If you didn't see the highlight, go back and watch it, but his leg, more or less, just really hit the side of Rizzo's head and at the time, you're thinking, well, could it be because Rizzo's hand was close to Tatis's foot as well. So maybe you're thinking maybe the foot stepped on the hand and maybe it's something with his hand or wrist or maybe his leg hit his shoulder. And then you look closely, oh, it hit him in the head. Does he have a concussion? Because after it happened, Rizzo also like 
kind of stumbled away from the base and dropped the ball that was in his glove and then dropped his glove itself and then sort of like went down to one knee with his right arm like sort of bent. So I was like, oh my God, did he like hyperextend his shoulder maybe? Like trying to wonder what the hell could have happened. He looked better when he went back into the dugout and then headed into the tunnel. But in real time on the field, it really looked like it could have been something really bad that keeps him out for a long time. Even if it is something like a bad concussion, that's, that's no joke. So I was really nervous, especially with, again, how it looked in live time. But Boone's update, thankfully, made it seem like they just took him out for precautionary reasons. That's what they're saying. And he should be good to go as soon as tomorrow. So Rizzo, after all, at least for now, is not another injury concern that we have to worry about. Thank God. Because, especially with the help on the way and feeling all good about that, the Yankees cannot afford to sacrifice Anthony Rizzo, especially if it were to be for an extended amount of time. It's just not something they could afford to do. It's just not. So, had to hang back and wait for that. (laughs) But, other than that, yes, a very interesting and eventful week. We'll get to Yankees news in a couple of minutes regarding some roster moves that had to be made for getting certain fresh arms up here, for the bullpen continuing to being a bit burnt out and tired and need more length out of the starting rotation. These were things we spoke about all the last week, especially amidst the Yankees' stretch when they had to play 17 consecutive games, 17 days in a row without days off. Obviously, that is going to massively burn any bullpen, especially when amidst that stretch... You don't have very many starters, if at all, going even seven innings, maybe. Maybe once or twice here or there, but when you have guys who are going maybe five innings, constantly maybe six, and the bullpen continually has to get that many outs, and especially when you factor in a day like what happened with Herman in Toronto, with getting ejected, going into the fourth inning with the illegal substance controversy, then the bullpen has to eat like 18-plus outs that game. When you have games like that too, that burns a bullpen even more, and it just stockpiles one on top of the other day after day, especially when there are no off days mixed into there, and not even any rainouts or anything, nothing. So just concerns here and there with the Yankees, like the general ones we have every year, because like we do say, whether it be injuries, or just what have you. There are certain aspects of the Yankees, certain concerns that remain prevalent no matter what season it is. It's just history repeats itself with this team. But the point here is to not act all doom and gloom, especially considering how we were talking last week with that episode title being, Are the Yankees Back? Because quite literally they were looking to be back as of last week. And this past week wasn't a bad one. It just had some moments where you wish... Certain bad things didn't happen because it could have been an even better week. But it wasn't a bad week by any stretch of the imagination because they did still manage to take two out of three from the Padres, who I really don't understand how the Padres are under a 500 team, even if they're not quite as good as the Dodgers or maybe certain other National League teams like the Braves and whatnot. I definitely think that it's a team that should be over 500. They should be. It's really weird especially considering how certain guys like Fernando Tatis Jr. is hitting after they just got him back after the whole steroid mess and just everything. I mean, I know Juan Soto wasn't in the lineup today because he had back tightness. He didn't come in until he pinch hit later in the game. I know that. But it's really weird that that team is under 500. So taking 
two out of three from them is something that I won't make any little deal about. It is a big deal if you ask me. Friday night was really the only night that was really just really annoying to watch because, well, actually, I didn't watch it. I just mostly listened to it on the radio and kept track on the MLB app because it was on Apple TV and I refused to pay for Apple TV. But nonetheless, that was a part of the few nights in the mid to late part of the week where the offense just decided it was going to pull another disappearing act again. So that was pretty frustrating. And then even their win yesterday wasn't thanks to the offense, really. only scored three runs. But the pitching kept them in the game constantly, and Severino pitched a masterclass and all that good stuff. But that was a part of it, too. Like in the middle of the week when I talk about things that you wish didn't have to happen because if it didn't happen, it would have been an even better week. A big thing was that in the middle part of the week towards the end of the week, the offense really pulled a disappearing act. It really did. Pats just went dead again. They showed really good fight in their victory against the Orioles earlier in the week back on, I believe it was Tuesday. Yeah, when they won an extras. And they were even doing good at least to start the game on Wednesday. But that from Thursday all the way up until today, really. Because today the Yankees put up a 10 spot. So the offense clearly made their presence known, especially, particularly in the third inning when they put up seven runs in that one inning. So, I won't crap on them for today. But for about maybe three straight days, the offense really did little to nothing. They really died. And things are going to happen like that. You know, we know this. We talk about this week in and week out about the regular ebbs and flows of a Major League Baseball season, whether it be with an offense, a pitching rotation, a bullpen, doesn't matter. Things are going to go through their ups and downs throughout such a marathon of a season. We understand that basic concept, especially if you've been watching baseball for a long time like me, or even longer than me. So, I get it. But the offense really did just drop dead in the middle part of the week, and we'll get into that when we get to recapping this past week's games. But... Still just very eventful. And you know what was really funny? Especially with the Orioles series, is something I wanted to mention too, another taste-of-your-own-medicine scenario. Remember how the Yankees faced the Rays in the drop? And the Rays came back from down 6 nothing against the Yankees' ace. And then the very next weekend at the game that I was at on that Saturday, the 13th, when the Yankees were down 6 nothing against the Rays with Shane McClanahan, of all people, on the mound, quite possibly the American League's best pitcher. And if he's not the absolute best pitcher, he's certainly up there in the top three, maybe. And then the Yankees came back from down 6 nothing with Shane McClanahan on the mound. So it was the Yankees giving the Rays a taste of their own medicine. Sort of a similar thing happened in the Orioles series when in the first game, the Yankees were trailing by four runs. And then... Ultimately, they ended up winning the game in extras. So they mounted a comeback and ultimately managed to get the win. And then on Wednesday, the Orioles were trailing by four runs. They were down 5-1 to one at some point. Then after an 8 spot in the 7th inning by them, in one of the most nightmarish innings for the Yankees in a long time, the Orioles jump out ahead and manage to get a 9-6 to six win ultimately. So... On Tuesday, Yankees being down by four grabbed a win. On Wednesday, Orioles being down by four grabbing a win. So against two divisional opponents in recent time, in just the last few weeks, two scenarios of a taste of your own medicine in almost identical situations. Very funny stuff. I just, I found that when I see situations like that, I'm like, look at that. It's just the symmetry of life, isn't it? <laughs> it's just, but listen, 
These are both, arguably, Tuesday was a game that the Orioles probably should have won. Wednesday was a game that the Yankees definitely should have won. As they had a 5-1 to one lead in the seventh inning, especially considering, despite the Yankee bullpen inevitably having their bad nights now and again like any bullpen does, the Yankees bullpen has been a huge strength of their amongst the best, if not the best, most of the time so far this year in the league, the Yankee bullpen. Against all other bullpens. So... At that point, you're probably thinking like I was, that in the seventh inning up 5-1, this game is likely over. Now, the Orioles are the real deal. They're an impressive team. I should mention that. So I wasn't necessarily guaranteeing in my head that the game was over, but you have a good feeling about it. And they blew it. So Wednesday especially was a game that the Yankees definitely should have won. So some give or take there. And then, like I said, Thursday, and then all the way up until today, the offense decided to just completely die and that resulted in losses every day other than yesterday, since Wednesday. But, that's what I'm saying. It's just an eventful week. Interesting week. I really do think the Yankees could have and really should have taken two out of three from the Orioles. I did predict that they would. So I guess I was wrong on that front. I'll take the L. And I definitely do think that the Orioles are the real deal, especially the back end of their bullpen is just straight up devastating. And their offense is nothing to be scoffed at either. But... I do still think the Yankees, especially when they get even more guys back, I do still think the Yankees have an edge over them in a head-to-head matchup. But, listen, again, another taste of their own medicine sort of a thing. The Yankees beat the Orioles earlier on in Camden Yards, 2 out of 3, and now the Orioles came here, beat the Yankees, 2 out of 3. So, they are evened up at 3 here in their head-to-head matchups over their 6 games so far this year, so it should be interesting to see where it goes. The Yankees, of course, continue to try to gain ground on them as the Yankees just won two out of three against the Padres this weekend, and the Orioles actually lost two out of three to the Texas Rangers this weekend. So thanks to the Rangers for helping the Yankees out, I suppose. Now, the Yankees are obviously, as we know, getting ready to hit a West Coast trip this week, So, and the Orioles are welcoming the Guardians into Baltimore starting tomorrow. So eh, that's... Not really looking too good for the Yankees. Again, anything could happen because the Mariners are not a bad team per se. The Guardians are pretty bad, so the Orioles will probably have a somewhat easy time for them at the very least. But nonetheless, Yankees are trying to make up for a lot of ground that they lost earlier on. Division picture right now still has Tampa Bay in first, with Baltimore four games behind them in second. The Yankees, seven games back of Tampa, three behind Baltimore in third. The Red Sox in fourth, ten games behind Tampa, and three games behind the Yankees. And then in last place are the very vocal Blue Jays, as we know. And yes, the Blue Jays definitely would not be in this situation in literally any other division because like the rest of the division other than the Blue Jays, the Blue Jays are also over 500 in last place in the American League East. We talk about how much of a beast this division is this year. It's not for a lack of talent on their end, despite us Yankee fans certainly having a few choice words for that organization. But nonetheless, I do have to give them credit like I gave my own team credit when they were in last as well. It's not completely their fault. It is also definitely partially because the American League East is just a dumb division to play in this year. It's just beyond stacked. And you could be two, three games over 500 and be in last place. It's crazy. In most other divisions, even the AL Central, in the AL Central, the Twins are in first place with a 27-26 and 26 record. The Blue Jays are a half a game better than that. That's crazy to think about. 
I mean, we all know the AL Central would be really like a joke of a division these last few years overall. But to know that the last place Blue Jays in the American League East could be in first place by a half a game in the AL Central is kind of crazy to think about. In the West, the Rangers are leading the way with a 33-19 and record, and then Astros only two games behind them with 31-21 and as of right now at the time I'm recording at least. So that's more understandable. But then even in the NL East, Aside from the Braves being 10 games over 500 or being in first, second place is the Marlins with a 28-26 and 26 record. That's the same record as the Blue Jays as of now. And the Mets, after just losing to the Rockies, losing two out of three over the weekend again, are at 500 in third place. The Blue Jays are better than them. In the NL Central, you have the first place team being 28-25. and 25. And the second place team being 26 and 25. Blue Jays are better than that. So it's just, it's really, it's really crazy. And it really goes to show you that while the AL East does have some competitiveness when it comes to the top of certain other divisions, if anybody tells you that any other division as a whole is better than the AL East, then they either don't know what they're talking about, they're trolling, or they're just stupid. I don't know, because it's just not true. (laughs) It's just not. It's really not true. Throughout the entire division. No other division is even really that close to having as convincing a competition as the AL East does. Because even like, if you look at the NL West, which is another division that could possibly compete at least a little bit, still in third place, one game over 500, the Giants. And then after that, you got the Padres five games under now, the Rockies six games under 500. And then, yeah, the AL West is pretty good too. Every team except for the A's is over 500. But then even then, you look at, in last place, the Oakland A's, 10-45. and 45. So that's really the main embarrassment in the AL West. So if you want to give them a little bit of a leg to stand on in competition with the AL East, then fine. But even then, you know, 10-45 and 45 compared to the 28-26 and 26 Blue Jays in last place in the East, it's not a competition. AL East is by far the best division. So that's what I meant weeks ago when I was talking about the Yankees. Well, it's a long season and there's you can have certain concerns about the team. You do have to more so than anything be concerned about the division as a whole because a chunk of the American League wild card is just AL East teams. <laughs> it's crazy. And granted, yes, we're only like 50 some odd games in. But when you're playing in a division like this, you can't afford to lose too much because when there's that much competition and the teams are winning that much, you will get left behind. That's why when the Yankees were in last, granted how early it was and how much time there is to catch up and certain other teams could go through losing streaks, yeah, all that stuff, sure. But in a division like this, if you let it get too out of hand, you will find yourself being left behind quite quickly. So that's why it's good that the Yankees found their footing more than out nine games over 500 at 32 and 23. It's doable as long as you continue to stand up against your divisional opponents. That's why it was unfortunate the Yankees couldn't win two out of three against Baltimore. But they'll have other chances. And other games against Tampa, they got to win. Even though, granted, they're not seeing them for a long time now. And other games against when they finally see Boston in the month of June and any other games you get against the Orioles or Toronto, you got to win those games. You got to stay ahead 
of your divisional opponents, especially when the competition is as intense as it is this year so far. You have to, otherwise you will get left behind. Now, fortunately, the chances of being left behind are getting less and less as the Yankees continue to get more and more guys back from injury, and that's only going to continue, hopefully, God willing. (laughs) I don't want to put too much into that, because you never know. Baseball gods and life in general have a funny way of making us eat our words in this arena if you're also a fellow Yankee fan like I am. But with more guys coming back, it's only going to fill out the roster some more. It's going to add more talent to the team, and it's only going to make their chances of being left behind in the division that much less because they're only going to get better, at least in most cases. But as for now, this would pretty much flow very nicely into Yankees news where it'll just mainly be about roster and injury news updates. And we'll get into all about what to expect over the course of the next week, week and a half, or at least mostly up until we talk again next Sunday. But there is plenty to go through as to what happened this past week and what to expect coming up of players trying to return from injury in the very near future. First up, the main roster news from this past week. Not much went on, but uh, just mainly Nick Ramirez was optioned back down so that prospect Randy Vasquez could make his Friday night start against the Padres. And then afterwards, he was optioned back so the Yankees could get an extra fresh arm in that bullpen in Matt Crook. So that's really mainly the only roster things that really happened as of this past week worth of note or anything like that. But today, mainly, And they usually have a habit of doing this every Sunday, so it does really help that I do Yapping Yankees on Sundays because it allows me to give you these updates very shortly after they were given, so they're very timely, they're very accurate, usually, unless something happens. So, earlier today on Sunday, particularly before the game in the Yankee pregame, the Yankees gave some updates on some of their most prominent players coming back from injury and what we could expect from their timelines. First up is that Trevino... Jose Trevino, who we mentioned last week, went on the injured list with a strained hamstring. Well, the good news for us Trevi fans out there is that he could end up being activated in the Seattle series as soon as Tuesday in just a couple of days. So he's very much on the verge of coming back. We'll obviously not really need a rehab assignment. He did not miss an extended amount of time. So he could be reactivated as soon as Tuesday. As far as my boy Giancarlo, Big G, it's my guy, he may very well begin his rehab assignment as soon as Tuesday. Speaking of Tuesday, he could start his rehab assignment as soon as then, so he's getting close, guys. And yes, when it comes to Stanton, as someone who loves him as much as I do, I will also admit this, typically, even after a rehab assignment, when he comes back from injury... He usually has a long adjustment period. His swing needs to get back to normal. His timing needs to return to normal. So he usually goes through, I don't know, at least maybe a couple of weeks of slumping. And pretty extreme slumping. A lot of strikeouts. Ugly strikeouts at that. Usually in the past, that's what's happened with him returning from injury. So there is a legitimate chance that that could happen upon him returning this time. And I am prepared to be as patient as possible because I just think he's worth it. But nonetheless, anyone who's not excited for Stanton to come back is just, they're just not being very rational. Because even if you feel a certain type of way about his injuries, and yes, you wouldn't be incorrect for feeling that way, because it is factual with how much time he has missed due to injury in his time as a Yankee. It's a lot of time. It's almost half the time, I think. So, you're not wrong for feeling that way. But, 
You are wrong, objectively, for thinking that adding him back to the lineup doesn't add anything substantial. Giancarlo Stanton is quite literally the definition of a difference maker when he is on the field. Of course, the key words are when he's on the field, and that's the most important aspect. Yes, again, that's not what I'm arguing. What I am arguing is that when he is on the field, he is an ultimate difference maker. But a lot of people who are bitter about him always being hurt refuse to acknowledge even that because they let their emotions cloud their judgment and logic on the matter. And the fact of the matter is, is that when Stanton is on the field, he is an ultimate difference maker. He has the potential to carry just about any team he wants. That's how skilled he is, and that's how much of a difference maker he is. We've seen what he does in the postseason. We've seen what he does in general when he's on the field, especially in big moments. He is clutch. And just in general, look at the presence that he brings. Look at the talent he brings. So Stanton's return is immeasurable no matter how you want to spin it. And the sooner he, of course, gets back into the swing of things, pun intended, the better. For everyone involved with the Yankees, of course. Now, Josh Donaldson, quite the opposite as far as what he's done in his time as a Yankee, albeit being far less time than Stanton. But nonetheless, we know what Donaldson has done or has not done since he was brought over here in a trade last year. In the 2021 into 2022 offseason, we know. And we've spoken about what his progress has been like since his injury from about a month and a half ago, very near the beginning of the season, and here we are about to be in June. He has not played since, and he's had some setbacks since then. His injury wasn't quite feeling right when he was amidst his last rehab assignment. Now it seems like it's going much better. And then most recently, because I believe he cut his hand when he was at home, he had another minor setback. But now he's been amidst his rehab assignment the last few days as we spoke about the fact that he would In last Sunday's episode that he would be getting a rehab assignment started at some point this past week, well, he did. He's now amidst his rehab assignment and could continue it on Tuesday. They're not rushing it. But since he continues it, that could mean that at some point in very early June, whether it be the end of this week or maybe some point over the weekend or at some point at the start of next week, I imagine that that means that at one one of those points, one point or another, he is going to be reactivated. And listen, I don't have to reiterate my feelings about Josh Donaldson. I've said it more times than I care to count, and you guys are probably tired of hearing about it. But all I'll say is that while he's here, I still have my personal thoughts on it, and I am definitely not expecting anything, nor should anybody, I think. But while he's here, all you could hope for is that he can bring something to this offense which, again, before today for the last three days, again, I know parts of ebbs and flows, but still, before today, really decided to pull another disappearing act these last few days up until today. But, again, with Josh Donaldson, I am never holding my breath. We'll just have to see what he does. He did hit a mammoth of a home run in his rehab game today. I did see that clip. 458 feet, I think. It was an absolute tank job. So, listen. I use minor league numbers and events for evidence to a certain extent because, of course, the talent down there is not even close to the talent up here. So you can't really make all of the claim that they're fully set to go and because he hit that home run down there, he's for sure going to do great up here. 
That doesn't guarantee at all that he's going to do great up here. And it doesn't guarantee the same thing for anybody when it comes to the minors in comparison to Major League Baseball. That's why there's such a gap in talent between the two levels because there actually is. You can't gauge what someone's going to fully do in the major leagues just by what they did in the minors. You can't do that. Too big of a difference in skill and talent and everything. So just because he hit that home run, I'm not getting excited. But I also, while it's cautious optimism, of course, at the very least, I'm hoping he can bring something to the offense because if he's going to be here taking up a roster spot, if he's going to be playing every day like the Yankees claim he's going to be, then what else can you hope for other than him contributing, right? Because if you hope for him to fail, and realistically the Yankees are going to have him out there every day, so if he fails, that's a detriment to the team too. I don't want the team to fail. I want the team to succeed. And whether or not I think they're boneheaded for still giving him more chances, well, that's another story for another day. Only point I'm trying to make is that while he is here, and we know for a fact, as of what the Yankees said, that he's going to be in there every day, his success and contributions means the Yankees' success. So I'm going to root for him to be successful, even though I have my own personal thoughts and concerns on him, and valid concerns at that based off of what we've seen from him in his time as a Yankee so far. So... Those are my thoughts on it. He's coming back soon. And if he's going to be out there every day, all you can hope for is that he contributes. Again, his success, the Yankees' success. It's a domino effect, guys. That's how it goes with everybody. How about Tommy Canely? We mentioned everybody coming back, yet amidst all of these other names coming back, like Trevino, Donaldson, and Stanton, mainly dominating everyone's attention and focus, some people may have Tommy Canely flying under the radar. He's been out since early on in spring training, as we know. Well, finally, some continued very good news on him after months of not-so-great news. But he continued to throw today. He is also going to throw again on Tuesday, pitching rather, not just throwing. And he could very well be activated as soon as next weekend when the Yankees are in L.A. facing the Dodgers. How about that, huh? Tommy Tightpants, close to coming back. And I'm very curious to see what he's got left because... Obviously, it's been a long time since Tommy's been here, and in that time span, he's gone through a lot of injury difficulty. They say as he's been pitching lately, his velocity's been in the mid-90s, his stuff is looking great, and we know because we saw it that once upon a time in Yankee history, he was a very reliable reliever to be able to go to in that bullpen. And curiosity makes us all wonder, could he be that again? Even though the bullpen has been a major strength for the team as of... The start to 2023 so far, as we're 50-some-odd games in, could he only add to it? And maybe just give more support to the back end of that bullpen, which has us Yankee fans questioning things at times. When you see how wild Clay Holmes can be sometimes, when you see how wild Marinaccio has even had the tendency of being sometimes. And when certain guys are just burned out and unavailable, like Wandy Peralta as much as he's used, and Michael King as much as he's used because of how terrific he is yet again. It's just good to have somebody else there to be able to support that workload at the back end of the pen. And if he could be that again, then that's going to be a huge addition. But you, of course, don't know what he's going to be because of how many injury issues he's had in recent years and because he hasn't pitched this year yet. He's been out since early spring training, and we don't know much of any of what he's got in store for this year. Could he bring something to the table? Is he going to be a bust? It hasn't been good so far because he's missed almost two full months to start the season already with his bicep tendonitis problem. But... He's closer than he has ever been on his road back. And I'm looking forward to seeing him, mainly because of the past, but I don't try to have nostalgia get in the way of my logic as best as possible. 
but I can't help it at least a little bit with him. We had some very good times with Tommy Canley, people. You can't forget that. So we'll see what he's got, but I'm really excited that he's so close. And last but certainly not least, Rodon, the biggest question mark of all, of course. He's going to be throwing another bullpen tomorrow when the Yanks get to Seattle, since as we know, recently he's been with the team. So they'll get another look at what he has when he throws another bullpen tomorrow. And of course, you hope it goes well, because uh, especially right now, as of Herman being out this suspension, and yes, he's very close to returning at this point, but especially with things happening with guys like him and the inevitable risk of other injury happening elsewhere, you want your rotation at full strength or as close to it as possible, and having Rodon in there would be a huge plus. Only problem is, we all know how big of a question mark he is. It's just, uh, has you feeling very unsure, because all of the issues that he's gone through, first off with his arm, and then it became a back issue, which then turned into a chronic back issue, which led him having to get cortisone shots, which apparently, as of this point, have worked very well. And he's had a number of setbacks in his attempts to come back when he's been throwing or having bullpen sessions, throwing from the mound, throwing a live hitters, whatever it was, just kept on having setbacks. The back kept on, uh, as Boone puts it, barking at him. And now he's back to throwing bullpens again. And the only thing we could really hope for is that no other setbacks occur particularly with his back, because his back seems to be what mainly halted his progress in the recent past when he's tried to return. So, of all the guys out there, Rodon has definitely always been and continues to be the biggest question mark out there. And the only thing you could really hope for is that these continued bullpen sessions and as it continues to progress, they just keep on going well because if you could add him to the fold and make that rotation, at least the first four guys, that rotation that we all fantasized about at one point or another with Cole, him, Severino, Nestor, I mean, that that's a solid four. It is. Yes, of course, they'll have to stay healthy. Yes, Nestor is to continue on a better direction. But if you could have that four right there, and yes, it is an if, but if you can, you got to get it back if you can. You have to. So you just hope his progress continues. But that's your latest injury update. Everybody else is, you know, they still got their long-term stuff. Or they're nowhere close to being back and whatnot. But those are the most important guys and how close they are or are not to returning. And most of them are very close. Trevino, Stanton, Donaldson, and Canely. Rodon is still the question mark, but he's working his way back too. So especially with those four, I mean, by the time I talk to you next Sunday, there could be multiple guys back. It's probably going to be Trevino, Canely, and also, it's probably going to be Donaldson as well, so at least three of those five will be back by the time we talk next Sunday. And still in that time span, you just hope, knock on wood, that there are no other potential sacrifices made like Anthony Rizzo almost was today. That's what you hope for, right? Because there has been a habit of that happening with the baseball gods involving Yankee injuries for a lot of the past recent years. You just pray to God it doesn't happen now. But that's more or less your Yankees news, your injury and roster news and updates as of late. And again, these updates are usually given as of each Sunday, going into each Sunday game. And we do Yapping Yankees here on Sunday, so it's good to have these updates given to us and being able to talk about them here on the show when they are just given the very same day, just a matter of a couple of hours prior to me recording. Really does work out nicely that way. Alrighty, so we've said that we're going to talk about the Orioles and 
the Padres series this weekend. We're going to recap all the games, and we shall. We spoke very vaguely about them, very generally about them in the intro to the show, but let's get into the details about what took place in the latest six-game homestand with the Yankees against the Orioles and the Padres, yapping Yankees time machine. Let's go. All right, back to Tuesday, because if you recall, the Yankees had an off day on Monday. Again, their first off day in quite some time. The Orioles came to town. Obviously, the importance of this series cannot be exaggerated because they are a divisional opponent, first and foremost. But second of all, the Orioles are actually not a team to take lightly this year. And they reminded the Yankees of that. But on this first night, I do have to say, and this was a continued showing of what we spoke about last week with the Yankee offense showing a ton of fight of late. And this continued into Tuesday with how this game went because Garrett Cole started the game and right away in the top of the first giving up a two-run double to Adam Frazier and then in the top of the third a solo shot to Cedric Mullins, top of the fourth a solo shot to Gunnar Henderson. It just it wasn't a good start for him and it was another example of how Cole has kind of taken a step down in the month of May. His ERA in this month alone is not great. Last five starts, giving up eight home runs, too, after not giving up a single home run in the entire month of April, as we know. So he's back to giving up home runs. Command's a bit off, and guys are just tagging him more. It's, it's, it's odd to watch after how in the month of April, he looked like he couldn't be touched at all. Hitters couldn't dream of making solid contact off of any of his pitches. And in May, especially amidst the returning home run issue, that has obviously completely gone full reversal. I mean, all of those happening. And then in the top of the fifth, with Ryan Mountcastle ultimately coming home to score, and he was originally Cole's responsibility there in the top of that sixth inning. When Vavra drove him home on that RBI ground out for the fifth run, it was charged to Cole. So Cole's final line on the night, very indicative of his whole month of May, as I said. Five innings, six hits, five runs, three walks, and only two strikeouts. Granted, he did make history, as far as his career is concerned, on Tuesday. Very impressive, earning his 2,000th career strikeout. Only 87 other pitchers in the history of the game have achieved that. So, a congratulations is definitely in order for Garrett Cole as far as that. And you can't understate that at all. But as far as the start, he just didn't get it done. So, he was out of the game amidst the sixth inning after allowing the two first hitters to reach. And then, as I said, Ryan Mountcastle would come home to score, and that run would be charged to him because Marinaccio didn't really do much to help anything. Even though He did go two innings scoreless, but obviously allowed the Cole run to score. One hit, one walk, and two strikeouts. Marinaccio's been... He just makes me uncomfortable lately. Between all the hitters he's been walking and how wild a lot of his stuff has been lately and... How many outings of late where he's given up a run or more? Just has me feeling a bit uncomfortable lately. So, didn't do Cole any favors there. Couldn't prevent at least one of the runs from scoring. But fortunately, despite all of that happening, the only run the Yankees were able to score amidst all that was in the bottom of the fourth on a Bader solo shot. Again, part of the offense showing resiliency. Bottom of the fifth, the Yankees came back. So, this is when they were down 4 nothing. Bader hits the solo shot. Bottom of the fifth, Anthony Rizzo. RBI double makes it 4-2. to DJ LeMahieu RBI single makes it 4-3. to 
and then Bader with the sacrifice fly made it 4-4, to four, so they tied it up. Then, of course, the fifth run that came home was the one that was charged to Garrett. Orioles just put another run up right away. And then in the bottom of the ninth, a few innings later, off of Felix Bautista, one of Major League Baseball's better closers, just has killer stuff, throws a fastball in the 100s, has a killer splitter, throws that really hard, it has some sharp break to it as well. Wasn't too much for Judge, the captain, of course. Got a hanging splitter his way on an 0-2 count. Took full advantage of it, hitting into left field for a solo shot, his 14th homer of the year, tying the game at 5 in epic fashion. And then, in the top of the 10th, after Michael King kept them off the scoreboard, the bullpen again with Wandy Peralta and Michael King after Marinaccio did a terrific job. Michael King just continuing to work his magic. And... Boone actually took a bit of a risk here because he brought King in in the ninth inning when the Yankees were still down 5-4, really trusting that his team would come back and he just wouldn't be burning through King for nothing on a night in which they were losing upon using him. But the right button ended up being pushed, of course, when the Yankees ultimately won when they came back in the bottom of the 10th inning on a sacrifice fly by Anthony Volpe to walk it off after Michael King again was able to hold the Orioles scoreless in the top half of the inning. Volpe walks it off on a sack fly, and the Yankees get an epic, resilient win to start the series against Baltimore in Yankee Stadium. So you're feeling good about things going into the next day after that, especially considering the fact that on the next day, the Yankees started the game by jumping out to a 5-1 to lead. Now, starting the game for the Yankees was Nestor Cortez. And up until the very end of his start, which we'll talk about in a bit, he was really good. Six innings, and again, this is after all the damage is done at the very end, but five hits, four runs, two walks, five strikeouts, and up until the very end, he was looking really good. And we were all saying, well, Nestor's back, regression season, cancel it. (laughs) He seems to be bouncing back here. But at least to start... You're feeling really good, especially coming off the night before with, again, the offense coming back in resilient fashion. You're feeling great after jumping out to a 5-1 to lead. Right away in the bottom of the third, Glaber put them on the board with a two-run shot. Driving home IKF, it made it 2 nothing. And then after Ryan Mountcastle put the Orioles on the board, making it 2-1 to Yankees, that was when they kept on adding Isaiah Kiner-Falefa again. Bottom of the fifth, two-run homer after hitting the home run in Toronto and Cincinnati prior in big situations. Well, he does it again here. Big two-run shot to pad the lead, making it 4-1. to one. And again, I was talking about this last week, and I'll add to the discussion now, especially with someone as hard on IKF as I was last year. And even to start this season at the very beginning when he was looking really rough again, I got to continue to give this guy his props. He has fully, and I said this all last week, but I'm going to say it again because he deserves it. This guy, like I said, complete opposite mindset of someone like Aaron Hicks. Said all this last week. He has fully embraced his utility role. Even seems to enjoy doing it. Playing wherever they need him. Left, center, third. Preferment center and third if I had to. Especially third base. He's very efficient there. But he has fully embraced his role as utility. Doing a terrific job at it. His bat has even made a resurgence as of late, which nobody saw coming. I don't care who you are. You didn't see it coming. Can't lie to me with that. <laughs> but he's let his defense do the talking. I know in left field, he's had some awareness issues as to who should get what in the outfield. And he had that problem more so in left than in center. But he's even corrected that of late, it would seem, 
Hopefully it doesn't happen again. Obviously that happens with all kinds of outfielders at times. You know, miscommunication happens. But it was definitely much more than one instance with him, particularly with Bader himself, with the center fielder Harrison Bader. But other than that, he has completely embraced his role. It looks like he even likes to do it. He's just here to help the team win and contribute any way he can. And with his bat resurging even more as of late, and even hitting more home runs, which it took him months and months and months until into the second half to even hit one last year. He now has three at the end of May. So IKF deserves his props for playing to the best of his ability no matter where they put him, his bat even making a resurgence of late, and the mindset that he has amidst it all. He deserves props. He does. Even someone who is as hard on him as I have been so often in the past, you got to tell it like it is. I always tell it like it is. That's why when some people tell me that I never talk about the positive or I'm always negative, you just don't listen to me enough or you just don't know what you're talking about. Or you just feel like accusing someone of being too negative on that given day. Because I just talk about how things are. And yes, I'll talk about my own personal thoughts sometimes and talking about potential expectations like with Donaldson, but even then, there's evidence to support those thoughts that I usually have. So no, I'm not irrationally negative, but I'm also not irrationally positive. I will tell you how it's going and what's going on. I'll tell you like it is. And if it's just a matter of predicting or speculating, then I will go off of my thoughts based off of how much evidence there is possible to support that claim. So anybody who accuses me of just being nonsensical or irrational, they just don't know me well enough, and they don't know the kind of fan I am, and they haven't listened to me enough or followed me for long enough. It's fine. You can think that about me if you want. I don't really care. But I am just saying I have been accused of that before, and it's just not true. (laughs) I don't know how else to say it's not. And if this instance doesn't prove it, then I don't know what does, because I'm giving IKF the props he deserves. Like I would with anybody else. Absolutely anybody else. But good on him for embracing his role the way he has Massive props. And after that, Glaber added on with another home run, his ninth of the year, made it 5-1 to one Yankees at that point. And like I said, getting towards the back end of the pen, Nestor's going into the seventh inning looking really good, maybe taking batter by batter since he usually has a rough time going through the order a third time. That was the logic I thought at the moment. A lot of people are pretending that, oh, I'm going to put him in right at the beginning of the inning, and I said that right from the beginning. No, you weren't saying that. Because... With how Nestor was looking, there was no reason to take him out in that instance. And if he did take him out in that instance, and it still didn't work out, then please, people would have been jumping all over Boone saying, oh my god, he looks so terrific, why would you interrupt that? His pitch count was low. What reason is there to take him out so early and have a have an early pull on him? And then now, leaving him in, then he gets fried for not taking him out earlier. Like I said, I blame Boone when I legitimately think that I have valid reason to. But this was not on him. So it's because he had he allowed the first two guys to reach base. Yeah, a little unsure about that, not pulling him at that point, because he did look like he was a bit out of it. But especially against a lefty like Adam Frazier, yes, a lefty hitter is not completely incapable of hitting a home run off of a lefty pitcher, I know. Especially not one of Frazier's capabilities. He's a very talented hitter. So it's always possible. But I liked the matchup. I was like, all right, maybe have this be his last hitter or just take him hitter by hitter from this point as well. But his pitch count was so low. And given how he had done earlier in the night, all throughout up until this point, 
It would have been tough to pull him before this. It would have been tough. I know about his difficulties with the third time through the order, and I would have taken him more closely, batter by batter, probably. But especially in this instance, lefty-lefty on Frazier, I didn't hate the matchup. I didn't. Unfortunately for Boone, the Yankees, and everybody else, though, it did not work out. Because Adam Frazier, off the foul pole in right field, hits a three-run bomb, and now brings it within one run. And especially with how the Yankees came back the night prior at this point, you're thinking, oh God, could the Orioles do it right back to us, give us a taste of our own medicine, just like what happened with the Rays, and now you're thinking about all these negative thoughts, who's coming in the bullpen, are they going to have their stuff? Oh, it's just snowballing in your head at this point. Unfortunately, all the snowballing that was probably happening in your head, as it was mine at this point, came to fruition, and then some, (laughs) to say the least, because... After Nestor allowed those runs and really just blew his ERA up and completely destroyed his pitching line, which before this happened was looking so good, (laughs) now it's 6-plus with all these runs allowed and another home run being given up. Oh my god, what a mess. And it didn't help at all because Jimmy Cordero, who otherwise has been really mainly good to start the year here, he really has been up until now from the beginning up to this point, he continued the meltdown and it was a mess. Two-run double to Gunnar Henderson after allowing multiple of the first two hitters he faced to reach base. Ryan Mountcastle sacrificed fly made it 7-5. to five. Anthony Santander with an RBI single grouped in with a throwing error by Harrison Bader made it 8-5. to five. Austin Hayes RBI single 9-5. to five. It was a mess. And not too shockingly so, Albert Abreu also played a role in this beyond disaster as well. One run, and it was unearned because of that Bader error, but still just contributed to the disaster in an inning and a third, giving up two hits of his own. It just, nothing went right. No matter who Boone was going to based off of who was available and who wasn't, it just wasn't working out at all. It wasn't. So Nestor had his meltdown, Cordero had his meltdown, and Abreu came in to try to stop the bleeding left behind by Cordero. It just didn't work out. He allowed all those runs to come in and then some. And Bader throwing error, which was just a big mess. And when all was said and done in that inning, the Orioles put up eight runs, and they had a 9-5 to lead to show for it. And after that, the Yankees just put one more run up in the bottom of the seventh on a Rizzo RBI single, but went quietly into the night after that. So again... Being down by four runs, the Orioles have the comeback this time, giving the Yankees a taste of their own medicine, and then adding on some, to say the least, after a Nestor meltdown in his final inning of work, capped off by a Frazier three-run shot, and then Cordero and Abreu just falling apart right after that. It's like no matter where Boone turned, he just could not find a successful avenue, and the Yankees lose a game that they probably should not have lost. So, not a good one. Unfortunately, the... Misfortune would continue into the next night when the Yankees, unfortunately, would lose the series two out of three in the Bronx to the Orioles, losing three to one. Starting the game was Clark Schmidt. Five innings, five hits, only one run allowed, two walks, and four strikeouts. Again, so not going deep into the game yet again. Just not having that put-away pitch, spending too much time pitching to certain hitters, and also no favors being done on defense as well. Similarly to the night prior in the first inning when Garrett Cole could have gotten out of the first inning much sooner had the defense made a play. In the first inning of this game, when Schmidt could have gotten out of the inning much sooner, the first inning that being, there's a play that 
A lot of people say that Volpe should have made and didn't and spiraled out of control after that. I mean, no runs were given up in the first inning by Clark Schmidt, but the inning went on much longer than it had to. After that, he walked Mountcastle and Henderson and fortunately got Hayes to pop out to end the inning. But still, a lot more pitches thrown than was originally intended had that play been made. Very similarly, again, to the night before with Garrett Cole throwing a lot more pitches in his first inning than he should have otherwise. And that really that really contributed to Schmidt not going as deep as he could have. And he didn't give up his one run until the top of the fifth on an Anthony Santander RBI single. But before that, he looked good. And this was really night one of the offense not doing anything in the few days streak that they had of this this past week. They gave him no support whatsoever. And the one run he gave up was in the top of the fifth on that Santander RBI single. And now, offense is dead. You're not seeing much happening. Schmidt, because of the extra pitches he had to throw, had to leave the game after just five. So again, the bullpen had to get a lot of outs. It's just constant with this. And it's reasons like this that I was explaining at the beginning of the show on top of all the games they had to play in a row, as to why the bullpen has been so burnt out. There's a problem when you have starters who don't go deep into games and just tend to not have that real put-out pitch in a given start or multiple starts, like Clark has been the victim of a lot of his starts. Just not ideal. And again, granted, no runs were scored in their innings in this game. Again, just... uh, A reminder also about the defense that I mentioned before, two errors they had in the night. It was also both by pitchers who just couldn't catch a ball from Anthony Rizzo. Ground balls to Rizzo, and he had to flip to the pitchers covering first, in this case Nick Ramirez and Jimmy Cordero, and they both kept on dropping the throws. It's like, can a major league pitcher please catch a feed from the first baseman, please and thank you? I mean, once is bad enough, especially when you're talking about a team like the Orioles, who you cannot afford to give too many chances to that they don't deserve. And here are Nick Ramirez and Jimmy Cordero not being able to catch feeds from Anthony Rizzo and covering first base. What the hell are we doing here? Amidst the offense already being dead as it is. So Schmidt gives up the one run, feels like 12 because of how the offense is doing. Only had three hits on the entire night. And the one time they scored was in the bottom of the ninth. On a Willie Calhoun RBI double. Calhoun had two of the three hits on the whole night. Offense was as dead as it could be. Especially outside of Calhoun. And then of course in the top of the eighth. After they had to review this call. On an Austin Hayes hit. But it ultimately ended up being a two run double. And the Yankees were going to the end of the game. Being down three nothing. With no signs of life whatsoever. And then Willie Calhoun gets only the third hit of the night. His second of the night. Driving home the only run. And the Yankees lifelessly lose 3-1, to one and lose the series. Clark Schmidt takes a loss, even though he had a pretty decent start. And it was just, it just wasn't a good look and not a good feel to come out this way, especially given the night before the seventh inning meltdown, blowing the four-run lead, and looking as lifeless as you did after that, and then coming out like this the next night, it's just, this was not a good loss. Not at all. I mean, no loss is good. Some argue like, oh, they could have very well won that game. It was a great game. It was a lot of fun. This was not. So, they very well could have won this series two out of three, like I said, whether it be not blowing the Wednesday game. Granted, I guess you could say the same thing to a certain degree about the Orioles on Tuesday, so that's fine. But there was no reason for them to come out as flat as they did in the third game, if anything else. So, 
That's what I'm really saying. Just a shame that they had to lose this game in general, but come out the way they did. It was it was just really lousy. Three hits the whole night, two of them from Calhoun. Come on. You're better than that. So, lost two out of three, unfortunately, but got to get right back to it, of course, because the Padres are coming to town, and they have a lot of star power on that team, despite being under 500 for some reason, as I was talking about before. But you got to be on your game with them. Got to be on your game. And also, after that Wednesday game, that was when... Nick Ramirez was optioned so that Vasquez could come up to make the start in the first game of the three-game set against the Padres, which would start on Friday, first game of the three-game set over the weekend, and the series unfortunately did not have a good start for it. Now, like I mentioned before earlier on in the show, Ramirez was optioned for Randy Vasquez to come up and make the start on Friday night. He actually went four and two-thirds, four hits, two runs, three walks, and six strikeouts. Not... Not a brutal start by any means, but obviously not the best. The first four innings, he looked pretty solid, but then the fifth and sixth, it uh, started to unravel a bit. Juan Soto, two-run shot. I mean, really not all that surprising. I'm pretty sure I had Juan Soto homering at least once this weekend on my bingo card. I don't know about you, but he hit a two-run shot in the top of the fifth. And then top of the sixth, Fernando Tatis Jr. hit an absolute tank job into left field. Another two-run shot to make it 4 nothing Padres. And that was what Vasquez gave up. And... There's some controversy on Tatis with this extreme bat flip that he had. Listen, I don't really, I don't really mind the guy. The guy's a talented player, and I know everything that happened with the steroids, which also kind of has me segueing to something else with the Yankees chanting. With the Yankee fans, I should say, not the Yankees, of course, but the Yankee fans chanting "cheater" constantly at Fernando Tatis Jr. And listen, I get the intent. You want to call him out for his steroid use? You want to get into his head, play mind games with him? But in case Yankee fans did not learn the first time around that mind games tend to not work anymore from Yankee fans to players, particularly with Jose Altuve and the Astros overall, and now this, I think it's about time. I mean, listen, Yankee fans are going to do it regardless, and I'm not saying you can't do this or you're not allowed to. Obviously, who am I to say that? You're going to end up doing whatever the hell you want and go for it. How foolish you come off by doing it, that's your problem. All I'm saying is that at this point... I think it's been pretty proven that instigating and antagonizing opposing players, who, yes, they do wrong things and they might deserve to hear it, but doing it with the intent to play mind games and get into their head and having it affect their game, it just admittedly, whether you want to admit it or not, has not worked with the past couple of guys that they've done this to. And Tatis Jr. has just proven to be another one. So maybe just stop hurling these chants at these guys because it only seems to motivate them even more to shut everyone's mouth in really the only way that matters on the field. And that's really what it comes down to because you want to win the game and you want to prove them wrong with your gameplay. That's what silences people the quickest. Not having like an outrageous and boisterous reply to it because otherwise that's just going to fan the flames even more. The way you shut fans up is by shutting them up on the field with your gameplay and showing that their chants towards you are doing nothing but fueling you and motivating you to do even better. And that's what these opposing players, unfortunately for the Yankees, have continued to do amidst the adversity with the Yankee fans. So maybe it's up to the Yankee fans now at this point to realize that this isn't really doing anything to help the Yankees. As a matter of fact, it's just only motivating the opponent. So maybe just, I don't know, rethink this strategy. Just a thought. Anyways, though, this put them up 4 to nothing at that point. And the Yankees' only run on the night after that was bottom of the sixth. Anthony Rizzo drove in a run on a ground out. He drove home Glaber. That was in the bottom of the sixth. 
And then in the top of the ninth, Rugnet Odor added on one more in an RBI single, and the Yankees lifelessly again went down 5-1. to one. So second night in a row, they're coming out looking absolutely dead. And now I'm thinking at this point, what I was thinking was, damn, did that loss on Wednesday really demoralize them that much? That meltdown of an inning, and they were up by four runs and the whole deal. Did that really demoralize them that much? Because they look, they look totally, completely and utterly lifeless. So I was just really nervous at this point. I was like, I don't like how they look. And it's not like they're going to be able to coast through the rest of the weekend. Because even though Severino was pitching on Saturday, no matchup against the Padres is really going to be like an absolute cakewalk. Let alone the fact that they had Michael Waka and Yu Darvish coming up. Waka, who was just like reinvented himself here with the Padres, having a terrific season so far. And then you have Darvish today. Yeah, granted the fact that in hindsight they cooked him. But still, nonetheless, two tough pitchers coming up. And this lineup with all the star power they have. And they just looked completely lifeless to start the series. So I was a bit concerned at this point. And as was everybody else, I think it's okay to admit. It's fine. But then fortunately yesterday, despite there being no offensive outburst by any means, they still managed to grab a nice extra inning win like they did earlier on in the week against the Orioles. So it's always nice to see. Starting this game for the Yankees was Luis Severino. And like I said, an absolute masterclass by him. Six and two-thirds, what should have been seven innings. Had Glaber Torres not booted that ball in the seventh, which is why of the two runs that scored, the one that did come home when King was pitching was unearned. It was not charged as an earned run to Severino because everything that happened after that ball was booted should not have happened because that should have ended the seventh to begin with. But other than that, the only other run that Severino did give up earlier in the game was a solo tank job on the one mistake he made the whole day to Fernando Tatis Jr. in the top of the fourth. But other than that, Luis Severino looked terrific, and it's so good seeing him look better than almost ever, to be honest, consistently throwing 100 miles an hour at times, so the velocity is more than there. His breaking stuff is moving beautifully, and right now he just looks terrific. He's striking guys out. He's constantly fooling people. The velo's there, like I said. He looks confident. He has that sevy air about him on the mound. I love how he looks so far. Obviously, you don't push the envelope too far for now as far as pitch count is concerned because the only objective right here, of course, along with hoping that he pitches well in general, obviously, you just want him to stay healthy. So you don't want to push the envelope with too high of a pitch count. You want to stay so much structured with that. And he really should have gotten through seven innings, so he did a good job at giving length. So the bullpen didn't have to do an ungodly amount of work after him, thankfully. But man, did he have a hell of a start against that kind of a lineup. Only making one mistake the whole afternoon and looking the way he did, I will take it. So, a, a beautiful start by him. And of course, King ended up allowing that other run to score that was unearned after that. But otherwise, King looked nice again. Wandy Peralta did a fine job. And so did Clay Holmes come extra innings, keeping the Padres off the board again in the top of the 10th. As far as Yankee offense before extra innings, bottom of the first. DJ LeMahieu got the Yankees on the board right away with an RBI double. It could have been two runs ultimately, but they sent Anthony Rizzo in such stupid fashion. I don't know why Rojas sent him, and I don't know why the Yankees sometimes force the issue with these guys who so obviously just cannot run. Guys like Rizzo and DJ, as much as I love them both, especially Anthony Rizzo, 
they can't run. Anthony Rizzo would lose to a sloth in a race. And I say that with all the love in the world because, again, I love him. I really like Anthony Rizzo. He's one of my favorite players in the entire team. And in recent memory for the Yankees, to be honest, the guy can't run. No matter how much you love a guy, you got to admit his faults. And speed is, or lack thereof, I should say, is definitely a fault of Rizzo's. But the Yankees, for some reason, sometimes push the envelope. Even not being at the ballpark to see this develop in live time like with my own eyes, I could just tell by where Rizzo is seen rounding third and where the where the throw is coming in and and all the timing of it. I was just like, oh my god, he's going to get killed at the plate, and he was out by a lot. So if they didn't do that ridiculous send, maybe they could have gotten more than just the one run out of it. But nonetheless, they did get a run RBI double for DJ ultimately. Then obviously Tatis Jr. tied the game at one in the fourth, and then obviously the run that came in after the Torres error in the top of the seventh off King. Kim drove in the run on an RBI single. Padres took a 2-1 lead, and again, with how dead the offense was looking, you're getting discouraged again, getting late in the game, having faced a really good pitcher in Michael Walker, and again, they're just dead, not doing much. But fortunately, in the bottom of the seventh, they answered right back because DJ, who at this point, of course, was the entire offense this afternoon, on this Saturday, yesterday, hit a game-tying solo shot to right center field, his sixth home run of the year to tie the game at two. So DJ coming through, tying the game. And then, of course, in the bottom of the 10th, what were we just saying before about IKF, guys? He came through, runners on second and third. With one out, IKF comes up, hits a ground ball down the left field line, and the Yankees win 3-2. to two. IKF comes through yet again. So fortunately, they were able to come through with a very fun and very clutch extra inning win against a tough Padres team, and now had the opportunity to obviously take the series in the rubber game matchup today, which I was praying that they would do, and they did. It was a pretty wild freaking game, but they ended up doing it after all. So today's game against the Padres, which again, finished not too long ago from the time I'm recording right now. So I'm still coming off a bit of a high from it, like I always do after a Yankee game immediately ends, and I just come right over here to this microphone to tape and talk about it. That's why the beginnings of my show at those points just is mainly dominated by a lot of what happened on that particular day, because I'm coming to you not long after it ends. So it's easy to do that. Cole took the mound for today. Good matchup. Cole against Darvish. And this game was crazy, like I said. Started off top of the first, Jake Cronenworth hits a solo shot off Garrett Cole right to begin, and Garrett's home run problems still there as they were in the month of May, and thankfully May is over. I believe this is the only win he's gotten all month. And also, this month, he gave up his first home run of the season on May 2nd, and the entire month the home run issue came back a bit, and no doubt his ERA went up a bit. It's now in the high twos, which of course still isn't bad. But considering where it was at the end of April, granted, yes, there's only like five or six starts. But yeah, it definitely has gone a bit downhill for him since April ended. April was a hell of a month for him. And now May was uh, quite the opposite. Just doesn't seem to be as sharp as he was last month. But home run problem continued in the first. Fortunately, his captain had his back in the bottom of the first though, because Judge hit a high towering shot into the visitor's bullpen solo shot to tie the game at one. An immediate response in the bottom half of the inning. That's what you love to see. And now, in the top of the second, Cole comes back out, and a lot of Little League-esque action took place. Because 
Jose Azucar hit an RBI single up the middle. And right away, given how much of a soft line drive it was up the middle, kind of had an idea, especially considering Kim was the first one to come home. He was the one to score on the RBI single directly, and he has good speed. You're thinking automatically, yeah, Bader doesn't really have much of a play at the plate, if any. And basically all of us were thinking that. I was thinking in a live time, I swear. I actually can confirm that. But Bader thought it good to throw home anyway and completely missed the cutoff man and even missed Higashioka at home plate because I could tell by how high the throw was right off the bat that it was going to it was gonna go over Higashioka's head. And it did. It was a bad throw. Bad decision to go home in the first place, but then on top of that, a bad throw to boot. And it was just a whole mess because it went over Higashioka's head. Cole was not backing up Higashioka. So it went all the way to the backstop, somewhat bounced back to Higashioka, thankfully. But then Higashioka got the ball and just airmails it straight to left field as Azakar was trying to advance to third. So he tried to get the ball over to DJ at third to try to get him out. And the ball went straight into left field. One of the worst throws I've seen from a catcher to the third baseman in some time. And that allowed Azakar to come all the way around to score on what they call typically a little league home run. Both runs came home to score on the play. 3-1 Padres, and especially, again, considering the quietness of the lineup, Darvish is on the mound. And yes, granted, they had a cool win the day prior. Because the offense was still quiet, though, you're having doubts. Darvish is on the mound. Offense has been quiet for a bunch of days now. Pretty lifeless. I don't like it. But it would seem that we got a little bit too ahead of ourselves because the offense went absolutely insane. Honestly, almost immediately after this, because yes, they went scoreless in the bottom of the second, and then Garrett kept the Padres off the board in the top of the third, but the bottom of the third, the Yankees exploded. Higashioka, after his awful mistake behind the plate defensively, he had a hell of an offensive day today, and that's, you know, after the mistake he made, I'm sure even he could tell you that's the least he could do. It was good to see, at least. Double Into left field, started the inning. Volpe, RBI single. Glaber kept it going after that with a single move and Volpe up to third. Judge tied the game at three on an RBI single. Nice beginning of the day he had with the home run. And now this. Anthony Rizzo, RBI single, made it four to three. DJ, he hit a three-run home run technically, but Trent Grisham made a beautiful play in right center and robbed him of a home run. So, DJ, after a stellar Saturday... You could argue at another home run today, but it wasn't. It's not how it scored because it was robbed. But nonetheless, a great hit by him, great play by Grisham, but goes to show you how well the Yankees were still hitting the ball. Then Bader, on a force out, drove home Judge to make it 5-3. Willie Calhoun, after Bader stole second, RBI double made it 6-3. IKF, RBI single, made it 7-3. Kyle Higashioka again as the Yankees batted around. RBI double made it 8-3, and then finally the Yankees had had enough of badgering the Padres because they put up a 7 spot in the third inning. 7 runs. They just barraged you, Darvish. They massacred the guy. So at this point, the Yankees have a huge 8-3 lead with Cole on the mound. And fortunately, really after the second inning, he settled in. Then the seventh comes around, and then he starts to get in some trouble, and they end up taking him out. Because to start the seventh inning, Cole ended up 
walking Matt Carpenter, former Yankee Matt Carpenter, that's right. It was nice to see him again this weekend. They walked him, and then Rugnet Odor, on an inside changeup it looked like, just completely mashed one into the second deck in right field, right down the line, for a two-run shot for the Padres to make it 8-5. And then after this, it just really seemed like Cole just was done with. It, it seemed like he was done for the day. And ultimately, he ended up being so not the best of jobs done. Because when your team puts up eight runs, and your pitch count was in decent shape in like the fifth inning, the sixth inning, and then you come out and do this in the seventh and allow all this to start happening, and you don't get there at least seven as the ace, he just didn't fully do his job today. Did he do an awful job? No, he didn't do an awful job, especially because one of the runs was not his fault on the whole second inning clown show. But he could have definitely done better and at least given the Yankees seven innings for sure. And I think even he would tell you that. But after he was done, the Yankee bullpen did hold it down between Cordero, Marinaccio, and Clay Holmes. Clay Holmes did allow a run on a sack fly in the top of the ninth, but nonetheless, they did end up holding it down. So it did get Cole, finally, after not having a win for the rest of the month of May, finally got him his sixth victory on the year. But still, nonetheless, I think even he would tell you that he could have done better. So... Nonetheless, important part was the Yankees won, and they also added on two insurance runs, which was quite nice, in the bottom of the eighth inning on a solo shot by Lord Bader and an RBI single by Higashioka, who again just had a hell of a day. And after his mistake behind the plate, again, he really he really needed that. So the final score today as the Yankees again take the series best two out of three against the Padres at Yankee Stadium was 10 to seven as the offense came back to life. You love to see it, and you love to hear the positive Anthony Rizzo update again after the game is over, as we spoke about at the start. So he should be back in the lineup tomorrow, God willing. And all seems good for now, especially considering what we were talking about before with more help on the way. What's ahead, you might ask, as I have alluded to many times throughout the show, the Yanks have a West Coast swing coming up now. They're heading to Seattle for a three-game set Monday to Wednesday. Tomorrow night's game is at 9.40 p.m. Herman does return tomorrow. We were talking about him returning soon. It is, in fact, tomorrow. So, yes, another re-addition, I should say, not just an addition, a re-addition to the Yankees' rotation as he returns. So, Herman will take the hill for tomorrow, 9.40 p.m. start time, Eastern time. Same thing for Tuesday, 9.40 in Seattle. Nestor Cortez has the ball for that night. And then on Wednesday, another 9.40 p.m. Eastern start, and Clark Schmidt will be on the mound against Luis Castillo. That's a tough pitching matchup, so I don't know about Wednesday, but we know baseball. Anything could happen. They could lose the first two and then win the third one, which you wouldn't expect. You never know, but just not a uh, Yankee-friendly pitching matchup that night for sure. I think it's safe to say. Thursday, the Yankees have another day off, so the day offs are coming a bit more generously at this point in the schedule after they had to play all those games in a row just a couple of weeks ago. Friday, after the Thursday off day, they head to L.A., as I said before, to face the Dodgers. And the Yankees and Dodgers have around the same record or just a separation of about a half a game right now, I believe. But Friday night's game will be at 10-10 Eastern. Saturday's game will be at 7-15 Eastern time, Saturday the 3rd. And Sunday the 4th, when we speak again... We'll be at 7:10 Eastern. I imagine that is an ESPN Sunday night special game. So that'll be next Sunday the 4th, 7:10 in LA. I'll probably tape the episode probably before the game or maybe during it, maybe towards the beginning part of it. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But regardless, 
7, 10 p.m. for next Sunday, and that is what's ahead until we talk next week. Biggest takeaways of the week, you might ask, especially as the month of May is coming to an end and he just started today. I believe it's appropriate to mention that I guess Garrett Cole is one of my bigger takeaways about how he could have done better, just really really indicative of the month of May that he had overall, and I'm hoping he could turn it around in June. Fortunately for him, though, on an overall level, his strikeout numbers overall are still up. He had nine more today. And he still does have a 6-0 and record, which, again, I don't put too much stock in a record, as we always say. I'm not a big fan of that statistic when it comes to pitchers, especially relievers more so, but even with starters. But nonetheless, I think he's got to do a better job dialing the walks back because he wasn't walking many people in April. He wasn't giving up many home runs. These are things he's got to work on come June going forward, trying to return a little bit to at least a little bit to what he was doing in April, trying to balance that out a bit and doing a little bit less of what he was doing in May. Another takeaway, like I said, giving IKF my props before. Definitely want to emphasize how much he has embraced his utility role successfully, so props to IKF yet again. And a conversation that's difficult to have because of how much I love him, we were talking about before, big fan of his, but there's another name out there that we have spoken about that's been doing really good up until the last couple of weeks, but has definitely gone into a bit of a slump, has definitely shown signs of improving the last couple of days. Because, I mean, yesterday on Saturday, he was really the main source of the offense. And then today, he damn near had a big home run, but had it robbed from him. So he's obviously hitting better the last couple of days, no doubt about that. You gotta at least cite that. But before that for some time, as his numbers were really just starting to make his overall stats on the entire season look extremely mid or average at best, DJ LeMayhew's gotta continue to turn it around. Now, a lot of people had concerns about him. There were some people outrageously suggesting to DFA him. I think that's wild. But <laughs> nonetheless, I think it's pretty safe to say that it is valid to talk about how he's got to pick it up because he's simply too important of a bat to be silent for an extended amount of time. And maybe even speculating that something might be wrong with him because in the past, when DJ's gone through slumps that are bad ones, it's usually revealed that he had been injured. So people were speculating the same here, and I was even thinking that in the back of my mind is a slight possibility, because you never know what's going on behind the scenes and what a player could be hiding. Players hide injuries quite often because they want to be out there playing. But regardless, yes, he's got to keep on building on Saturday. Yes, he had a home run taken away from him today. That is not his fault. But he's got to continue building on what he started yesterday, because especially before yesterday, it was even an even bigger talking point, but it should be mentioned now still. DJ's got to pick it up because his slump of late has made his numbers look at best average with a WRC plus and an OPS plus barely over 100, which is literally average. His batting average really starting to drop down home runs. Obviously, he's hit a few, one being yesterday, but I don't really gauge DJ on power. Yeah, he'll get a hold of one every now and again. And having like at least 20-ish out of him is very nice, 15 to 20. But especially even like the RBIs and there were big situations where like one this past week too and he laid down a, a nonsensical bunt just because he was afraid of grounding into a potential double play with a sinker ball pitcher in, in Cano. And then just not coming up in big situations at times as well, which is highly unlike him in his Yankee tenure so far, obviously, as we know. 
for most of this time here, he's been an elite runners and scoring position hitter. But of late, that slump really even affected all of that, and it's started to actually make him a bit of a detriment in the middle of the lineup there because, you know, he was in leadoff forever. But of late, especially with Stanton going down and giving Volpe a lot of leadoff opportunities, they've moved DJ to either clean up or batting fifth, just the middle of the lineup. And the vast majority of the time of late, again, especially before yesterday, really having a tough time. Obviously, players are allowed to struggle. Again, ebbs and flows of a Major League Baseball season. But he's simply too important for that to be going on over a long time span. So he's got to continue figuring it out, especially with guys down with injury because he's just too important. So that's definitely a big takeaway for me, having to do with DJ, which is a very big deal for me because I love the guy. But again, it's part of just telling you how it's been going. Regardless of personal feelings on a player, you got to try your best, at least after the fact, because especially amidst a game with emotions riding high and everything, it could sometimes be tough for emotions not to cloud your judgment. But especially when I'm sitting here in front of this mic a little bit more cooled down than during a game, definitely. (laughs) You could definitely just see reality and see that DJ has got to continue to pick it up. And the last couple of days, yes, have been encouraging signs, and he himself said that he feels like he's getting there. Got to keep it going, though. Have to keep it going. He's too important. So those are some big takeaways from this past week that I also wanted to mention. But again, so losing two out of three to Baltimore, tough, especially because they very well could have won two out of three. Would have been really nice, especially considering divisional circumstances. But then they managed to bounce back this weekend and win two out of three from the Padres. And the offense exploding again today was a welcoming sight to see. So we'll see how they do when they hit the West Coast. You feel like West Coast trips really seldom go well, but hopefully this one can. The Dodgers are a tough matchup, obviously. The Mariners are no cakewalk. While they're not the best of Western teams, they're not bad either. So you have to play hard against them as well. And the next weekend in L.A. should especially be fun. I'm looking forward to that series. Yankees and Dodgers, always exciting. And the Dodgers are also just about as good as the Yankees are at the moment, particularly record-wise. So should be very interesting this next week. After the West Coast trip, and we will be talking again next Sunday when it's on its way out, of course. Well, now that we're caught up, my friends, let us get to the end of the show, of course, which is the social media segment. And for this week, I had another open-ended question for you. A few weeks in a row now of uh, just questions and a poll and just a bunch of things. So I'll probably bring up a Q&A before long again because I like to incorporate those sometimes. You know, sometimes I deserve the questions too, and I deserve to be put on the spot per se. So, this week again, open-ended question, and I figured that since all the help is on the way, and it was a big discussion heading into the game today, particularly on the Yankee pregame, and everybody was talking about it, how Trevino's coming back, how Donaldson's coming back, how Stanton's coming back, and Canley's coming back, just a lot of exciting talk of a lot of guys who have been down for a long time now, coming back, Trevino not so much, but other guys, yes, down for a long time, like Donaldson, Stanton, Canley, gone for a while now especially Stanton and Canely. A lot of people being excited for them. And it just gets you thinking because of how eventful this past week was and this West Coast swing coming up and a lot of these guys, possibly at least three of them being back by the next time we talk next Sunday. I figured we'd do some roster talking, just talking shop here. Seeing what is on our minds as far as what to do when these guys return. So the question is, what roster moves are you making for when Trevino, Donaldson, and Stanton return? Obviously, I left Canely out of this, but I'll explain in a second why I did, because I feel like he's sort of a straightforward answer. But as far as Trevino, Donaldson, and Stanton, now I have my own personal feelings on this, 
And then there's what I feel the Yankees are going to do. For Trevino, obviously, and they also talked about this on the Yankee broadcast today as well, I personally don't think it's necessary to carry three catchers on the roster. So one of Rortvet or Hagee has got to go. Personally, I think we already know what we have in Higgy so far, and to be honest, even just putting today's game aside, I don't see much of anything in Higgy, and I haven't for some time now, except for the occasional home run, because he does have some pop, but I don't see anything other than the occasional home run and just average at best defense, which I even think is complimenting him too much, has a really poor throwing arm behind the plate and also behind the plate, has been dropping an unusual amount of pitches. Has anybody noticed that lately? I mean, just a lot of them. Pitches right down the middle or wherever else, he just drops it. Like, he doesn't catch the ball, which is pretty alarming considering it's in his job title. (laughs) It's like, I don't really understand. But, I don't know. I just don't see much in Higgy. I haven't for a long time, and I just don't think he adds much. So, me personally... I would consider taking the risk DFAing him, because it's not a guarantee somebody else will pick him up, but he could very well just be back here, and then he'll be back in the minors. I mean, kind of stinks for him on a personal level, because he's he's kind of a career minor leaguer up until just like a handful of years ago, but I don't know. I would have more personal interest in giving a younger option, who we haven't seen too much of yet, so giving him a shot, in Wartvet a chance. I don't know, because I just think we know what Higgy is at this point. But I also do understand the mentality that optioning Wartvet because Wartvet has options, minor league options. You just send him down there without the potential risk of losing him like a DFAing. I understand that Wartvet is eventually going to be optioned. When Trevino gets back, Wartvet's going to go down to the minors. He's going to be optioned. That's obviously what's going to happen in reality. And it's much easier to option someone than DFA someone else. There's no doubt about that. It's common sense when it comes to roster construction. Now, it is also tough to really defend Rortvit because we haven't seen nearly enough of him to develop any sort of a legitimate opinion. But I do have some interest to give him a definitive shot at the position of backup catcher. And, you know, especially because you have a lot of night games and a day games, Rortvit could see at least two games a week. So, and I'd like to see he's another left-handed bat. So that's another intriguing quality as a hitter. Whenever you hear about another potential left-handed bat with the Yankees, considering how many righties they have, that's why you also panic in general when you hear about Rizzo potentially going down aside from everything that he brings. He's a lefty bat. So, I don't know. This is, I'd rather see Rortvet get a shot, but that's realistically not going to happen. And I don't even really expect it to happen because, again, he has options. Higgy doesn't. Makes more sense to option as opposed to DFA. So what I would like, Rortvet to be given a shot. What will happen, Wartvet being optioned. <laughs> That's really where we're at as far as Trevino coming back. Donaldson, this is interesting. You can do a number of things. Oswaldo Cabrera, we've spoken about it. As much as I love the kid, and this doesn't mean I'm necessarily giving up on him. You can always call him back up later, especially if you need him. But I think Oswaldo needs to be optioned right now. Cabrera, as much as I love him, has been horrendous in 2023. Nowhere near the Oswaldo we remember in 2022. It's unfortunate, and I'm not giving up on him. I definitely would like to see him up here again, but I also don't think it would hurt him to just put him back down in AAA for a while. 
Especially while you see if Donaldson has anything, because I'm not having a long leash on Donaldson. If maybe three, four weeks go by and Donaldson does little to no hitting, I'm doing exactly what I did with Hicks. I'm DFAing him and just cutting it. I'm cutting the cord. Because enough is enough. Doesn't hit last year, comes back this year, gets hurt right away, misses about a month and a half, and then comes back and doesn't hit again. Nah, bud, you're gone. You're done. So, and at that point, obviously, you bring Oswaldo back up, especially because of his versatility, which might end up keeping him up here anyway, even with Donaldson coming back. And they might look to get rid of somebody else, like maybe Willie Calhoun, Jake Bowers. Plenty of options here. But nonetheless, I do think Oswaldo could afford to have a bit of a stint in AAA just to get his bearings back because he doesn't have it this year, guys. Is he valuable? In, is he bad in the field? No, he's not bad in the field. And can he play a lot of positions? Yeah, he can. And that's always valuable to any organization, no doubt. And do I still love the kid and think he has potential for the future? Absolutely, I do. I love Oswaldo. But you can love someone as much as you want and yet still be able to admit when they are just playing nightmarish baseball. And that is what Oswaldo has done. Trying to get under everything often pops it up. Also as a ground ball machine a lot of the time. From either side of the plate, it's not good. And actually, in very confusing fashion, whenever he has showcased his power this year, it's come from the right side of the plate, when the left side of the plate has often been the side where he showcased his power more often. Now this year, whenever he has, it comes from the right side. He just seems to be all out of sorts. I mean, listen, no matter where you showcase your power from, I'm down for either side, as long as you give your power. That's awesome. I'm just saying how different he's been from last year in every way. So I think he could use some time in the minor. So I would consider optioning him for Donaldson. I would. The problem is, you also open up shortstop, because if Volpe goes down or Volpe needs a day off, who's going to be at short, you ask? Well, the two options are probably, at that point, either going to be IKF or Glaber. Now, that's not a good thought either way, so I'll give them that. And in that case, they might go the route of maybe, I don't know, Willie Calhoun. Problem is also, Willie Calhoun has hit pretty well. Not amazingly well, but he's, he's hit pretty well. So he's kind of making that a difficult decision for you, too, if you're the Yankees. So... But because I think he could really use a stint down in AAA just to just to return to what he once was potentially, get that confidence back, I think I think Waldo could use the optioning as much as I hate it. And he does have an option, so you can do that. But so I guess I guess I'm saying Waldo for him then, at least for the time being, and just see what Donaldson has for a little while. And then when Stanton comes back, I think it's pretty easy. You DFA Bowers. Unfortunately you can't option him. He doesn't have any options left. But Bowers has got to go. So I guess what I'm saying is if it's not going to be Waldo for Donaldson, then I guess you, you DFA Willie Calhoun. But again, his hitting makes that difficult. And if you're willing to do that, then fine. But then again, I guess the discussion pops up then. It's easier to just option someone than DFA. In that case, they would option Waldo because you can always call him right back up and you don't have to DFA somebody and risk losing them for nothing. So there's the problem with that. So I guess that makes the scenario of optioning Waldo friendlier for the Yankees and more likely. And I wouldn't hate it, especially considering how bad he's doing this year up here. And then, yeah, so Bowers is the easy candidate to be, unfortunately, DFA'd because he doesn't have any options left, but for Stanton, you know, he's, he's got to go. I mean, Bowers hasn't really shown too much anyway. Since he hit those two home runs, there's really nothing there with the bat. 
And he's made his mistakes in the field, too, so there's not too much there as well. I don't know. I, I just don't care for Bowers much. It was fun at the start, but that it went stale really quickly, just fizzled out rather fast. And I'm okay with him being DFA'd. If they're able to, if nobody takes him and they're able to put him back in AAA, then so be it. Then at least you still have him there. That's fine. That's a good option to be able to turn to if need be. But I wouldn't really think twice about DFAing him, especially because of Stanton coming back. I mean, come on. So I guess definitive three, what I would do is DFA Higgy. What's going to happen is optioning Wartvet. And then, I guess it's Waldo for Donaldson and Bowers for Stanton. I, I explained it just about as good as I possibly could if I had to say. I put some thought into this. And then for Canely, if you want to extend it, this is much easier. I just DFA Matt Crook again. Because Matt Crook literally just came up as an extra arm if need be. That's an easy candidate to just send right back down for when Canely comes back. So I guess that's, in my opinion, that's what you do with the roster. Let's see what you guys think. First up, we have... At K-Swing6 says, need to see more of Wartvet to decide on him or Higgy. Bowers likely goes for Stanton, and I dump IKF for Donaldson. IKF for Donaldson. Uh, that doesn't make much sense right now. Have to DFA and potentially lose him right when he's embracing his utility role and actually contributing to the team? I, I don't know if I'd do that. I, I would Not right now. There, there are plenty of other things you could do and plenty of other people that you could get out of there without, you know, thrown off the balance of someone, getting rid of someone who's actually embraced their role of late. I, I don't agree with that. So I got to actually have IKFs back there a bit. Uh, yeah, Bowers for Stanton, yes. And Rortvet, yeah, like I said, the only tough thing about standing on the hill of saying, oh yeah, I'd definitely go with Rortvet is that we haven't really seen enough of him to have a definitive opinion. So like I said, I wouldn't, I'm not going to be upset when he's optioned, but I, I do think that we at least know what Higgy is by now. And yes, he'll have good games like this every now and again, and yes, every once in a blue moon, he'll hit a home run. I just don't think that there's much to him, though, and I think we know exactly what he is at this point, so I'd rather some fresh blood, see what he's got, see what's there. He looks pretty good behind the plate. He's a left-handed bat. I'd be willing to give it a shot. But of course, optioning is always easier to do than DFAing, and we haven't seen enough of Rortvit yet. So he'll he'll be the one to go down in the minors. I'm not dumb enough to deny reality. So he'll go down in the minors and, you know, Higgy will be the backup as was before. At Greg Marsh 64 says Cabrera, Bowers, Rortvit. And that's what I'm thinking. Up next we have at Heaven BND saying Rortvit for Trevino, Bowers for Big G. And I say leave Donaldson on the injured list for the rest of the season. If not, that leaves Allen or Calhoun. Cabrera can at least play outfield. Yeah, Bowers for Stanton, yeah. And Rortvet going down for Trevino, yeah. Those are That seems to, I'm pretty sure everyone's going to be on the same page for that because it's pretty common sense at that point. Oswaldo, yeah, he can play outfield. I think the bigger problem that you have is who would back up shortstop. I think that's the biggest problem that you have. Because for third base, you have Donaldson, and then DJ could back up. Second base is covered with Glaber and DJ, of course. And then first is covered with Rizzo primarily, and then back up is DJ. So every position's really got a backup right now with Waldo up here, but then shortstop kind of gets exposed if Volpe is not there. So yes, optioning Oswaldo would be tough in that sense, but it wouldn't be for too long, because honestly, like I said, not a long leash on Donaldson at all. If you're any sort of Yankee fan, I can't imagine you have that long of a leash on him. 
And Oswaldo just really seems like he could use the demotion for now. He really does. Again, this is coming from someone who's a big fan of his. I definitely wouldn't get rid of Allen at all. Because Allen's another lefty bat. And he could put the bat on the ball sometimes, I guess. But he's not known for his offense. But mainly he is very important for base running and stealing. And he could play about any outfield position. So when you say Oswaldo can play outfield, really actually the best support you could use from as far as defense is his ability to back up shortstop because that's really the position that gets exposed if he's not on the roster. For outfield backup, they have Greg Allen. So, and I wouldn't get rid of him. And Calhoun, you could DFA him. But again, optioning is easier, which makes the option of optioning Oswaldo more appealing. And Calhoun's hitting of late makes it kind of tough to do that to him, to DFA him. They could end up doing it. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I think they'd sooner option Oswaldo. But again, after some time down there, and if Donaldson doesn't hit, bring him back. See if he has his confidence back. See if he has his mojo back. Why not? At Rebirth Chaos 09, my buddy James says, DFA Calhoun, Higgy, let Ben be the backup, and send Cabrera to AAA. Well, again, DFA and Calhoun, it, uh, you, so you would... You would DFA Calhoun and option Oswaldo. Again, even though it's never going to happen, I don't hate the DFAing Higgy and making Ben the backup catcher to see what he's got, take the risk on Higgy, and if he can go back down to the minors so you still have him, then give it a shot. But by DFAing Calhoun and sending Oswaldo down, via optioning, of course, you're keeping Jake Bowers over Willie Calhoun? I mean, that's kind of interesting. Because I, I know that... Bowers can go in the field. He can play left. He can play right. But there's nothing with the bat, really. The defense is nothing to write home about. And even though Calhoun is often used at at DH primarily, his bat does a lot of talking of late. I will give that to him. A lot of us were wrong about that at certain times. Obviously, sometimes he doesn't hit. But his bat makes it tough to just do that. So I'm surprised you'd rather DFA him than Bowers. I mean, I don't hate it, because I definitely agree with the Higgy thing, and I agree with sending Cabrera down, but I'm just surprised by anybody who would rather DFA Calhoun with the way he's hit than Bowers. That's one thing I'm a little interested about, but okay. At Vinman23 says, Ben Rortvet for Trevino, Cabrera for Donaldson, Bowers for Stanton. Same page as me. At Talking Rivals says, Trevino, Rortvet, Josh Donaldson, Cabrera, Canely, Crook. Yeah, that's what I said. For Matt Crook for Canely, Oswaldo for Josh Donaldson, and Ben Rortvet for Trevino. What about Stanton, though? You forgot Stanton. <laughs> Up next, we have at Robert Perupski. Says, Higgy DFA for Trevino. I don't hate that. DFA Donaldson and not have him be on the team at all. <laughs> Fair enough. Option Oswaldo to AAA for Stanton. All right, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. So again, another person keeping Bowers here, huh? Okay, fair enough. At RMNY1976 says, for Trevi, DFA Higgy. For Donaldson, DFA Bowers. Donaldson shouldn't even be on the team, but whatever. DFA him when he's hitting 185 on July 1st. (laughs) And for Stanton, DFA Calhoun. Again, I'm kind of surprised by rathering 
DFAing Calhoun over Bowers. Because again, even though Bowers plays the field more, you're not going to be missing much when you lose his defense. And plus, Calhoun has hit far better than him. I'm just a little surprised by that. But hey, I guess some people are more willing to cut the cord with Calhoun. I mean, listen, either way, you're, you're DFAing somebody. So it's not like you're, you know, contemplating maybe DFAing Calhoun as opposed to optioning Oswaldo or DFAing Higgy as opposed to optioning Wartvet. It's not a DFA versus an option, in which case you obviously go with the option. It's just much better when it comes to a roster. You're talking about two DFAs here. And I'm just surprised that with those two, you choose Calhoun. I've had a few of these now. It's weird. At says Ratty says, if Oswaldo goes to AAA, who is the backup for shortstop? Now, that's what I was saying before. For people who actually want Oswaldo to, to stay up here for now, I'm not sure there are many of those people left. That is one thing to consider. So I'm glad somebody asked that. But yeah, that is that is something to think about. But again, you're not leaving too long of a leash on Donaldson. If he doesn't hit after three, four weeks, cut the damn cord and bring Oswaldo back up, I guess. What are you going to do? At Yankee Ken says, if I had to guess, Trevino replaces Rortvet, Donaldson replaces Oswaldo Cabrera, and Stanton replaces Willie Calhoun. Since the Minister of Propaganda, Michael Kay, said the Yankees believe in Bowers' new swing. <laughs> Minister of Propaganda. Hey, I like Michael Kay. I'm not going to talk crap about him on the show. I like Michael. There are some opinions that I that I think are a bit odd and I don't align with him on, but that's okay. It's part of life. We're never going to have everybody agree with everything we say. So we're allowed to have that. But I'm a Michael K fan, so I'm not going to talk crap about him. That's what the fan said, Michael, not me. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I guess... If you're talking about what the Yankees would do, but I want to hear what you would do. That's the question. Because you say... Uh, Michael K said this, that the Yankees believe in his new swing, but what would you do? You can talk about what you would do and then what would actually happen. Like, I did that with the Trevino situation with Higgy and Wartvet, but but yeah, I think it's reasonable, the other two. But Willie Calhoun going for Stanton, I don't know, that's... One could argue that it would make more sense for Calhoun to stay. Again, I'm kind of surprised by that. You're not the first one to say that, keeping Bowers over Calhoun. Up next, we have at Baseball Tzar says, Ben, Willie, and possibly Oswaldo. The flavor of the day goes when Tommy comes back. Flavor of the day. Is that Matt Crook? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, so Ben, meaning Wartvet, Willie Calhoun, so another one, and then possibly Oswaldo. So again, a lot of people, some people at least, willing to keep Bowers over Calhoun. I don't really align with that. I don't know. I don't have a big issue with it. I'm not a, like beyond attached to Calhoun. Again, I'm just saying because Calhoun brings more with the bat, as of right now at least, than Bowers does. Definitely has. And granted Bowers is in the field more, doesn't leave much to be desired when it comes to defense. Up next, you have at NYY Sportsfan96 saying, Wartvet for Trevino, Cabrera for Stanton, Calhoun for Donaldson. Calhoun again? Oh my God. <laughs> People just want, get him out of here. Okay, then. Whatever. All right, so Rortvet, Cabrera, those I can definitely understand and see. Yeah, Calhoun for Donaldson. Yeah, for Donaldson, that's weird. It'd be more like Cabrera for Donaldson than Calhoun for Stanton, but it, I'm, yeah, all the same. Those would be the three for those three. But yeah, I'm just, again, Calhoun gone over Bowers. Interesting. 
Rebecca at Peace Now for Life says, Hi, Mike. Here's my plan. Rortvet goes down for Trevino. Bowers down for Stanton. And Donaldson gets DFA'd. Peraza comes up. Happy Memorial Day weekend. You as well, Rebecca. Hope you're enjoying it. And uh, I, know, I feel weird saying Happy Memorial Day weekend. It's not really a happy occasion. But yes, I, I understand the sentiment. Don't worry. <laughs> but yeah. Rortvet, Bowers, and stopping there instead of going after Oswaldo or Calhoun, I guess, Rebecca, just saying DFA Donaldson right away. I'm not totally against it. <laughs> I totally understand the sentiment in bringing up Peraza, especially, has anybody seen Peraza in AAA lately? Again, don't want to put all the stock into AAA numbers as opposed to Major League numbers, but the kid is raking again since his ankle sprain. Something to look at. So I don't have that big a problem with that suggestion, Rebecca, to be honest. I don't. Especially if you bring Donaldson back from injury and after three weeks, three to four weeks, he's still doing absolutely nothing after give or take a month. Just cut the cord already. Enough. But we'll see. At Evil underscore Empire 27 says Rortvet to AAA for Trevino, Oswaldo to AAA for Donaldson, and Bowers DFA for Stanton. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. At the Sam Castro, says Bauer's gone. Too many errors. Sadly, Rortvet is getting sent down. And then more likely than not, Greg Allen, even though it could probably be Calhoun. I don't think Greg Allen's going to be the one to go. I, I don't agree with that. I'd be shocked if he is, to be honest. He can play any outfield position. His speed is so valuable. So versatility, speed. And he can, he can even sometimes get a hit, leg it out into a double or a triple even. I do not think it's going to be Greg Allen. I really don't. I think you're looking at... I, I definitely say Calhoun quicker than Greg Allen. But then I'd also say Bowers quicker than Calhoun. Because, like even you said, you're not going to miss much defensively for Bowers, and hitting-wise, he really hasn't done anything. So, I, I agree with you when it comes to that. At B. Welch 1943 says Calhoun and Bowers are the easy calls. I prefer Higgy gets released, but I'm thinking Rortvet will be assigned. Yeah, Rortvet's going to get options. That's what's going to happen. Even if that's not what you want, even I'll admit, yes, yeah, he's going to get optioned. Calhoun and Bowers. I mean, yeah, if, if it's not going to be Oswaldo or Greg Allen, which again, I don't see Greg Allen. I don't see that happening. I think Greg Allen's here to stay. Great utility piece, great versatility option, speed option, switch hitter. Could be a lefty. You know, I was talking about before he could be a lefty bat. Yes, he can because he's a switch hitter. But I just don't see him happening. So I guess they could be easy ones. Both, again, Calhoun and Bowers would be DFAs, not options. But I I would include Oswaldo in that because I, I just think he needs a minor league stint. I do. Sorry. I love the guy, but... At Ryan KW 2001 says Bowers gone, Oswaldo sent down, and either Higgy gets sent down or Ben Rortvet goes back to not existing. Yeah, but at least we know that Rortvet is nonfiction at this point. So even if he is option, which I do believe he will be, upon Trevino being reactivated, he's not going to go back to not existing because we at least know that he exists now. We've seen him, he's played. So that is unfortunately a dead joke at this point. But nonetheless. Um, but Higgy wouldn't just be getting sent down, guys. you got to remember, it'd be a DFA for him. He doesn't have options. So that's what complicates that. And that's what makes us think that, especially because he's brand new and you don't really have much of an opinion on him because you haven't seen enough of him, much easier to assume that Rortvet will just get optioned. 
Bauer's gone, Oswaldo sent down. I can I can align with that. At Epic Gamer 126, 642 says, if I'm making the decisions, it's Trevino, Hagigon, Donaldson, Bowers, and Stanton, Calhoun. Again, Calhoun. And this guy's saying Hagee, okay. But again, Calhoun gone over Bowers. That surprises me. At NYY underscore Star Wars. Wow, I love that handle. I think Oswaldo for Donaldson. Calhoun has been swinging the bat too well for a DFA, in my opinion. Yeah, I, finally someone says it. Damn. <laughs> like, yeah, I just, I'm surprised so many people have said Calhoun over Bowers for going. It's weird. At Neil Tabano says, Rortvet, Cabrera, and Bowers to Scranton. I agree. Though Bowers, he would have to not be taken by anybody to make it back to Scranton. So, but yeah, Rortvet and Cabrera would just be options. At Gregory 116 32791 says Bowers, Calhoun, and Cabrera. Oh, Calhoun again. All right. Hey, listen, fair enough. I, you know, I'm not going to crap on anyone's opinion. I'm just surprised considering, you know, Calhoun does bring a better hitting option right now, despite not really playing the field. But kind of surprised by this. <laughs> At Bark Acasello 1. I'm sorry if I botched your last name, Bart. Anyways. Bart says, I think Higgy has earned the right to stick. DFA Bowers for Donaldson, send Waldo for Stanton. And by July 1st, unless Donaldson is OPSing 700, DFA him for Peraza. I agree with the Donaldson and Peraza sentiment for sure. Higgy earning the right to stick. Other than his good offensive day today, I don't really know what tells you that he has earned his right to stick. I don't really agree with that. <laughs> I mean, he had a good offensive day today, but otherwise... As far as offense, other than occasionally getting a hold of one, power-wise, he doesn't really bring too much to the table. Hitting-wise and catching, he's really not that great defensively. He's been dropping a lot of pitches, too, as I just mentioned before. He has no throwing arm, and this has been stuff for a while now. So, yeah, I don't know. I'd just rather see what Rortfett's got. That's just me. But uh, they will end up optioning Rortfett. Again, that's what they will do. But... I don't think Hagee's earned any right to stay. I don't really understand that. All right, let's go to the final two as per usual. We've done plenty and so many I didn't get to. I'm sorry. You know I I apologize, but it's a lot of you. What can I tell you? A lot of you guys love interacting. I love that. Keep on showing your love for the show, guys. You have no idea how much I appreciate it. Last two, though, as per usual. First up is at Vic Salimo, my girlfriend, and she says, Although I'm interested to see what he has, I think Rortvet will end up being sent down for Trevino. As far as Donaldson, I think Oswaldo could use a stint in the minors for now because he's really struggled so far this year. And as for Stanton, I would probably DFA Bowers. You're aligned with me. I mean, for the most part, it really just seems like some people stray when it comes to talking about whether it be Bowers or Calhoun. That seems to be the area of disconnect a little bit with certain people. But for the most part, that's what it's been. Let's see what, last but not least, my mom has to say at Julia Gina Scudero. She says, Hi Mike, as you know, I'm not the best at all these stats and placements of players on the roster. You're usually my go-to guy for information for these kinds of things, but I'll give it a go. Fair enough, Mom. Yeah, not everybody, you know, not everybody's into that aspect of baseball, talking about the actual behind-the-scenes and roster construction and inner workings of the roster. That doesn't intrigue everybody. I get it. But, uh, listen, let's hear what you have to say. First off, I'm miserable to hear that Donaldson is returning. <laughs> yeah, my mom's not a big Donaldson guy. Kind of understand that. That being said, I'd love to use him as kind of a utility guy for the longest while. 
I believe he will kill Joy the entire team's good vibes right now if he's out there regularly. I think Higashioka needs to go. I'm not sure what the best plan for him is, but nonetheless, I'm okay with him going. I think Rortvet and Trevino are good catchers. I want to see what Rortvet has. As far as Stanton returnings, I say send Bowers away. Thanks for the challenging question. Well, yeah, for someone who's not into roster talk, yeah, this could definitely be a change of things. So, no, no problem. But listen, I get no one being a fan of Donaldson. I get the people who are not a fan of his. Since he's going to be here, there's nothing we can do about it. You hope for him to do well so that it leads to the team doing well. Obviously, it contributes to that, and that would be good. Obviously, but short leash. You got to have a short leash, in my opinion at least. Definitely fair with Higashioka because, again, we know what he is. We know. So I definitely understand what people are saying by that because I wouldn't hate to give Rortvet a shot, like I said. I really wouldn't hate it. But we haven't seen enough of him, and obviously, like I said, optioning is easier than DFAing. He's going to be the one to go. And as far as Bowers with Stanton, yeah. I definitely think that'd be the next best to go because Calhoun's making it tough with his hitting. It's tough to just DFA him despite him really not playing defense. So, seems for the most part you align with me. And I do know that you've seen Oswaldo not doing too well. And I know you happen to like him like I do, but I do know that you said at one point or another that you don't think a minor league stint would hurt him. And obviously I agree with that. So, no, you did a good job with that question, Ma. Did a nice job. As did the rest of you. And... Like always, I just want to thank all of you for listening to yet another marathon episode. All this time goes by, I just never shut up. It just always happens. My God, I can't help myself. But as for now, especially because of how long the episode is, I think it's about time to wrap up. That is all the time for episode 183 of Yapping Yankees today, guys. A lot to talk about as per usual. Episode title, that was eventful, and it was an eventful week. Please remember, though, guys, as always, to follow me on all socials if you do not already. Mike Scudero NY is my Facebook fan page. On Twitter, you can find me at Mike Scudero. And Instagram is MikeScuds97. Subscribe to Yapping Yankees on all four of the platforms it's available on if you do not already. That is YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Show your love on all four like you always do. And if you've missed any Yapping Yankees episodes, do not fret, guys. You can catch episodes 34 all the way up to 183 today on YouTube and every single Yapping Yankees episode, including today's, going all the way back to episode one four years ago. Very close to my four-year Yapping Yankees anniversary. Hard to believe. It really is. As we also continue to creep closer to the Bicentennial episode. That is also crazy. But all of those are available on Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Once again, though, I thank you all 3,000 for listening to me yap today. As always, my friends, I have been your host, Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you next Sunday, June the 4th, when I come at you with episode 184 of Yapping Yankees. But until then, you know the deal. Hang in there. Be patient. Stay safe. Look out for your loved ones. Go ahead and kick life's ass this week, my friends. And let's hope that with reinforcements on the way... Our Yankees have a successful West Coast trip and bring us some good W's in Seattle and Los Angeles. But until next Sunday, my friends, take care and let's go Yanks. Yanks.